Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we're talking about childbirth post-traumatic stress disorder. Up to 45% of women report that their births were traumatic, and around 3% will experience PTSD. So what are the differences between the two? What are the symptoms and risk factors for childbirth PTSD? What about post-traumatic growth? Cheryl Tatanobek tells us more. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by Natural Breastfeeding in their free quick start video. Created by breastfeeding experts Dr. Teresa Nesbitt and Nancy Moorbacher, this video will show you what you need to know to get started with natural breastfeeding. Go watch it at naturalbreastfeeding.com. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, Mighty Mamas and Mamas-to-be and Mighty Dads and Dads-to-be. As always, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening and for all the love you give the show. I adore your comments, requests, and of course your reviews since those help get the show in front of even more parents. So if you enjoy what you, what you hear, please, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. Sort of like what MCLE Mama left recently saying that she, quote, she, um, I'm not, but she says, I'm 24 weeks pregnant and just finished listening to all of Birthful's episodes to date. Wow, this has been such an enriching learning experience. I love diving deep into the art and science of birth topics with highly skilled host Adriana. Thank you. I am now so much better prepared to get my needs met in the healthcare system and have developed informed birth and postpartum goals. I was very inspired to hire a doula, read Iname, and own this process. Knowledge is power. Thanks for the invaluable resource. End quote. And thank you, MCLE Mama, for your fabulous comments. I wish you a most flowing birth and would love to hear about it later if you feel so inclined. Maybe come share it on the show. Let me know. Okay. All right. My guest today is Dr. Cheryl Tatanobek, who is a distinguished professor at the University of Connecticut School of Nursing. She also has a joint appointment in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the School of Medicine. She received her master's degree in maternal newborn nursing and a certificate in nurse midwifery from Yale University, and her doctor of nursing science degree is from Boston University. She is a fellow in the American Academy of Nursing and has received numerous awards such as the Association of Women's Health Obstetrics and Neonatal Nursing's Distinguished Professional Service Award. That's a long name for that award. Over the past 30 years, Cheryl has focused her research efforts on developing a research program on postpartum mood and anxiety disorders. Based on the findings from her series of qualitative studies, Cheryl developed the Postpartum Depression Screening Scale, known as PS. PDSS, and she is a prolific writer who has published over 150 journal articles on such topics as postpartum depression, postpartum onset of panic disorder, birth trauma, PTSD due to childbirth, and many, many others. Cheryl, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here today. Well, um, it really is. Um, I'm the one who should be thanking you to be able to um, really talk about this important topic for mothers and their, their families. Yeah, and it's something that's been not spoken about much. Um, 
ever. I think it's only the past few years that it's it's been getting more attention. Uh, and thanks to great research like the ones that you do, right? And we're trying to break the stigma around prenatal and postpartum mood disorders. But I love that we're talking about even a, a, a another distinction today, specifically to childbirth post-traumatic stress disorder. So can you define, let, let's take one step back. Can you define traumatic childbirth for us? What does that entail? Well, um, I like to, re um, when I talk about traumatic childbirth, I always add the phrase um, that it's in the eye of the beholder. Because what I found um, with these wonderful mothers who participated in my research is that um, just like beauty, perception of a birth being traumatic or not, it's all in the eyes of the beholder. So the mother's perception can be quite different from the labor and delivery staff's perception. Um, what I mean, for example, um, one mother um, may perceive that her, her birth really was traumatic to her. Um, and uh, if someone, a clinician, were reading her labor and delivery record and would see that, you know, she um, had a vaginal uh, birth but needed forceps, uh, the baby's APGARs were great at eight and nine, they would, uh, the, the staff would consider this a success and by all means, from their perspective, not traumatic. But something could have happened during that labor and delivery that makes the mother's perception totally different. Um, you know, birth, birth trauma, it's, it's some event that occurs during labor and delivery, and it could involve um, actual or threatened, like serious injury to either the mother or her unborn child. But I found in my research that there's also another component of it. And for some women, when they view their birth as, as traumatic, it isn't that they they feared for something going wrong in for their life for their unborn child, but that they really felt like they were not cared for during labor and delivery. Um, some mothers talked about they felt like they were stripped of their dignity. So myself as a nurse, a nurse midwife, that really um, hurts deep down in my soul because that is what clinicians are taught from the very beginning is to treat each patient with respect, with dignity, to communicate with them. So for some mothers, I find that um, that really was the, the, the seed of their perception of their birth as being traumatic, is that I think they were stripped of protective layers. Why? Because why one mother may have a postpartum hemorrhage and be fine, another mother have postpartum hemorrhage physically be fine, but she felt and perceived the birth to be traumatic to her. And I think it's because she was stripped of feeling cared for, being treated as an individual, being communicated with during um, what was happening during that event in labor and delivery. So um, I never, I don't have a, a set definition of a traumatic childbirth because it's all from um, the perception of the mother. It's in the eye of the beholder. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge and great point because it is, 
It's a complicated situation because birth is a very intimate and personal event. It's it's this immense experience that ha- that happens at all levels, you know, full holistic body, mind, spirit. It requires everything from you. And and very, you know, we're not in position or experiences where that where we where we go through that except for big events we you know in life we're not often asked it's not often asked of us to give so much um and then like you were saying to have that be looked at from a different expectation and different perspective of a clinical setting then that's where you get mismatched things don't match up of like well no that was a great birth but yeah the mom can be feeling that it was it was actually quite horrible correct absolutely and we really healthcare professionals in the obstetric world really need to be be educated on just the impact of of how they care for a mother not the physical things maybe they but how they communicate, how they convey their caring can have a huge impact on a mother's perception. And birth of a baby should be one of the most treasured, wonderful memories in a woman's life. And we really need to take care um, with women during labor not to do anything to to um, change that and make that memory be one of, of being distressed. Mm-hmm. So what what takes it from a traumatic event to mm-hmm. childbirth PTSD? All right. Um, women can, um, certainly uh, women um, can perceive their birth as being traumatic. And, and as you were uh, saying, Adriana, that uh, um, we're only beginning to, to research this and look at that. So there have been some studies uh, looking at, First, just the prevalence of women's viewing childbirth as traumatic, not PTSD yet. And so uh, the prevalence for, for traumatic childbirth ranges, at least from the few studies done right now, from 23% of, of women in the studies to 45%. And so they're done on different um, countries. The 23% of the women was from the U.K., the highest um, the 45% of, of women in these community samples that perceive their births as traumatic, um, the 45% came from Australia. And the U.S. was in the middle. Um, that one study that's been done here was 34%. But not all women who perceive their birth as traumatic go on to uh, be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Not everyone does, and luckily it's a much smaller number. Prevalence rates for actual diagnosed PTSD um, in, in mothers, and the PTSD is due to childbirth. Um, and just we call them just regular community samples, you know, just women out in the community. It's 3%. There's only 3%, thank goodness. Um, in at-risk samples, meaning uh, women maybe who have had a, a prior um, bout with some mental health problem, like maybe um, being depressed during their adolescence. That's an at-risk sample, and so what they what been being found is 15% of those at-risk sample mothers um, could um, lead to being di- diagnosed with PTSD. They're risk factors that that we know of. Um, 
And then women can just experience, we call them post-traumatic stress symptoms, and some of them, but may not be, you know, go on to be fully diagnosed with PTSD. So there's a range. So someone can can experience a traumatic birth, but get over it and not really experience many post-traumatic stress symptoms, while other women experience some of those symptoms, but it's not to the degree that they're actually diagnosed with PTSD. But then the smaller subsample um, really are struggling in, and then are, can be diagnosed with PTSD due mm. to their traumatic birth. So, so what a range. Yeah, and, and I, I'm glad to hear that the number itself of diagnosed PTSD is small, but but I am shocked by the big number of women who are reporting their birth as traumatic. Um, mm-hmm. You know, from twenty three to forty five percent. That's that's a quite a large number, um, which begs uh, all sorts of questions of how addressing the care that we've give these women and why are they experiencing <laughs> this? You know, describing their births as traumatic, but. Mm-hmm. Be, like, I have tons of questions going through my mind, but before I move on to that, what you mentioned the PTS symptoms. What yes. are some of those symptoms that moms would experience? All right. Um, any any PTSD, it, it doesn't matter the, the event that triggered it. So PTSD in men and women, say, coming back from the war, um, PTSD of someone who's been in a... Um, major automobile accident, any PTSD has these typical symptom clusters. So for mothers, um, the, the, the trigger would be something during their birth. And so the, the symptoms, um, one grouping, they're, they're called intrusion, intrusion symptoms, where meaning that the mother um, could have flashbacks or nightmares, re, re-experiencing the labor and delivery even though they don't want to, but these flashbacks um, keep coming. So that's one. Um, Another group of symptoms are increased arousal, which are things like um, mothers are very irritable, they're angry, they could have uh, difficulty sleeping. Um, Another group have to do with avoidance, meaning avoiding anything, uh, reminders of the traumatic event, uh, because reminders of the traumatic event, if, if you have PTSD, then would trigger these flashbacks, these distressing flashbacks or nightmares. So mothers would um, avoid uh, certain reminders. Uh, some women in my study talked about how they would avoid passing the hospital where their traumatic birth took place because it would trigger these flashbacks. So they would go out of their way and drive farther, depending on where they have to go, not to pass by um, the hospital. Um, and so avoiding those reminders. And um, also then there's, um, we, we call them, uh, like, for example, these negative changes in, in thought processes or mood. And so an example would be um, numbing. Many times mothers say that they just feel numb. Uh, no, none of the positive emotions they thought they would feel. Um, just there is a numbing of their positive emotions, and then part of this also is um, difficulty remembering, like aspects of the trauma, certain memory um, 
loss having to do with that. So those are the main groupings of symptoms for uh, diagnosed PTSD. Now, women can experience some of those and not have full-blown PTSD. So it's important we educate moms um, about some of these symptoms and how they are different than, say, symptoms from um, we know most now, we hear most about postpartum depression, but some, these symptoms are are different than postpartum depression, and so it helps um, to, to differentiate some of these uh, postpartum disorders moms can experience so that they're, they're getting the appropriate treatment. Mm, yeah, because and, and because it's a large unknown, and sometimes they just get clustered together. I, I know of moms that get misdiagnosed and maybe they're considered that they have postpartum depression and mm-hmm. maybe even given medication for that when, in fact, what they have is, you know, childbirth PTSD. Um, and it can, it can, I, can, I can appreciate how it would be difficult to diagnose some of these, especially if mom's not experiencing all of them because something like... Um, irritable or or having a hard time sleeping that can also just be caused by having a newborn and 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 mm-hmm. and lack of sleep of of just the right. n- nature of it yeah um, the, the the difficulty sleeping would would be um for example um like saying in postpartum uh depression i've developed the postpartum depression screening scale and so the items are written in the context of new motherhood so it says even when my baby is asleep, I can't sleep. So those sleeping disorders, we would have to differentiate. You know, that was an excellent point of yours, whether they're not sleeping because the baby is getting up all the time, but differentiate even when the baby is asleep, uh, the mom really has difficulty um, falling asleep. Sometimes it's uh, fear of nightmares coming again or um, uh, being, you know, bombarded with some of those um, intrusions. And so it may keep them up up at night. Mm. And you mentioned avoidance of reminders of PTSD and mm-hmm. how they might not drive by the hospital. In, in some cases, would the baby itself mm-hmm. be a reminder? Yes, yes. Um, it uh, the baby certainly can. They're starting to do studies. We've we've done uh, researchers have done. Uh, studies now looking at the effect of postpartum depression on mother-infant interaction. And now they're um, starting to look at, uh, does PTSD have an effect on the way mothers interact um, uh, with their with their infants? And some of the studies that I have done, not specifically looking at that, but aspects of that distancing um, themselves have, have come out. Um, not every mom, for sure, that has PTSD purposely distances herself from her baby, but um, it can be part of the, of the um, mental health problem that they are um, ex- experiencing. And certainly we know mothers are one of the primary um, stimuli for their newborn infants, and we really need to, to identify any of these postpartum mood or anxiety disorders early enough to get moms treated so that she and her baby um, can uh, have the best interaction and bonding as soon as possible. Absolutely, absolutely. And I could, 
It, it makes it, I think, adds a different, another layer to the complications that if you are having, you know, moods where you don't want to, you're not feeling great about your baby or you're trying to avoid baby or, or anything that reminds you of what happened, because if you're struggling with that, how that can create even secondary feelings mm-hmm. of, of, can you explain or talk a little bit about that, about secondary feelings that can stem from post-traumatic stress disorder or childbirth PTSD? Well, um, I have, well, I can sort of give you like a, a concrete example of, say, the effect that some of those symptoms could have on mother-baby interaction. Yeah. Um, I um, have a, a study of mine that I have done on the impact of birth trauma on mother's breastfeeding experiences. So this a short little um, quote. It's only uh, two sentences, I think. And talks about this, um, the numbing and, and the effect of um, interacting. This mom said, and I quote, the first five months of my baby's life, and in parentheses she said before I got help for this, are a virtual blank. I dutifully nursed him every two to three hours on demand, but I rarely made any eye contact with him, and I dumped him in his crib as soon as he was done. I thought that if it were not for breastfeeding, I could go the whole day without interacting with him at all, end of quote. And so she had um, PTSD. So that's one of the, the, the possible sort of intermediary effects that um, that disorder can have on mother-baby interaction. Oh, that is such a powerful and, and, and heart-wrenching quote, frankly. You know, of, I'm so glad she got helped and... and, and... Yes got to that step would do you have you found in your research that moms that are experiencing this then have an extra level of guilt or you know almost self-loathing because of what they're feeling um yes you know a, a guilt for um for how they're feeling able, yes yes to um care for it i think i found the guilt even more prominent, though, in my research on postpartum depression, that the mothers really um, had a tremendous amount of guilt because they they just thought they weren't the mothers that they wanted to be, that they couldn't love their babies as much as they wanted to. And so guilt for me came out even stronger with the postpartum depression, but there is some with um, the, the PTSD. Mm. Could you tell us a little bit how the differences between the postpartum, since we're getting into it, the postpartum depression and childbirth PTSD in terms of of how a mom experiences it? Um, sure. Um, postpartum depression. If if someone would be diagnosed with a major, uh, we call it depressive disorder, the mom would need to have um, symptoms of depression for at least a two week span. That's what. Um, the people in psych mental health would use as as a diagnosis. But there are a number of possible symptoms in postpartum depression that a mother uh, could experience. Um, not every mother has the same constellation of these symptoms, but obviously there's, there's depressed mood. Also a part of postpartum depression um, does have a piece of anxiety to it, which sometimes people don't realize. So for some women with postpartum depression, their um, heightened level of anxiety about the baby, about anything, could be more problematic than, say, crying or depressed uh, mood. Uh, difficulty concentrating is, is another one. Uh, the guilt um, is, is another um, symptom 
of postpartum uh, depression, uh, sleeping eating problems. You know, when it's not sleeping, when it's when it's not just because the baby is getting them up all night. Um, and so those are some of the the, the 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 main ones. In postpartum depression, they're not having these in true in uh, intrusive flashbacks or nightmares like they have in um, PT, PTSD, and they're not really avoiding reminders of, of the birth in postpartum depression. One thing, though, that uh, we are finding in research with these two postpartum um, uh, disorders is we call it um, comorbidity, meaning that we're finding that a large percentage of, of Women, I don't have the exact number, but um, a percentage of women who will have both postpartum depression and PTSD. That's what we call comorbidity, meaning together. So um, what I would say is if a mother is, is suffering with one of these, just make sure she's screened to make sure she's not having this, this, the other um, disorder too so that she's being um, treated, treated for both of them. Right, so that she's the, all things are taken care of for sure. Correct. Yeah, Correct. Cheryl, going back to the actual experience, so we're seeing these big numbers, and moms are reporting. You know, large number of moms are reporting their births as traumatic. Is mm-hmm. there a way to lessen the chances of experiencing birth trauma? Uh, yes, um, there are. Um, I guess first I'd start with the risk factors. Some risk factors that they know that we know would heighten yeah. uh, uh, the percentage of, of women who perceive it as traumatic, and then we could work back to what can be done to try and prevent that. Love it. So we so these are risk factors for um, perceiving birth as traumatic, and, and also for P, you know PTSD due to birth trauma. Um, mothers who have had a prior mental health problems before are at higher risk for uh, being re-traumatized during, during labor and delivery. One of the um, biggest risk factors are women who um, are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. Um, um, they really are, because of what they have been through and survived, they are at high risk for being re-traumatized during labor and delivery. For example, um, that uh, um, nurses or physicians, nurse midwives doing vaginal exams. This could re-traumatize them, so they're they're really at high risk. Um, women who have uh, obstetric emergencies, say for example, um, a severe postpartum hemorrhage, or we're finding that women who have a higher level of of medical intervention are more apt to perceive their birth as, as traumatic and may go on to develop PTSD. So, for example, uh, women who are um, need to be inducted, say maybe they're two weeks past their due date, they really, the, the labor really needs to be initiated, so um, they are being induced, their membranes may be ruptured artificially, um, and then... Um, because of the the strength of the contractions, they may opt for an epidural. But then, when it comes time to push, they can't push as effectively, and then they need forceps. Um, so it sort of snowballs. 
so that that's a that's a risk factor versus a mom who has a norm what we call a normal spontaneous vaginal birth. Um, uh, women were finding that really perceived that they had a poor quality interaction with their labor and delivery. Healthcare providers are at risk. Um, so those are some of the the main risk risk factors, and so. And in my research that I found, I, I talked a little bit about it ahead of time, but what what really uh, defined the um, birth as being traumatic for mothers, first of all, was um, not feeling cared for. So that's something that we as clinicians can easily, you know, um, focus on. Certainly we may not be able to, to prevent a postpartum hemorrhage, but we can prevent women from not... Uh, feeling uh, cared for. Um, they need to be um, respected, um, feel like they're, they're treated um, with, with dignity. For example, in that study, the first study I ever did to try and f- find out what it was about a birth that could be so traumatic. Um, here's a quote from one mom, and she said, I quote, I'm amazed that three and a half hours in labor and delivery room could cause such utter destruction in my life. It was truly like being the victim of a violent crime or rape, and end of quote. And in my uh, research, many times that's the image mothers would give me is that they were um, giving birth on the, the delivery table, um, but they felt raped, like and everybody was watching and no one was offering to help. It's that lack, that lack of, of caring. Uh, they didn't feel that they were communicated with. For example, one mom said she was laying on, uh, was in the delivery room and laying on the table, and the physician was on one side of her and the nurse was on the other side, and the physician says to the nurse, as if the mom isn't even there, we may lose this baby. And the mom said, I'm right there. I'm listening to what they're saying about my baby, and they are talking as if I'm invisible on the table. So all these 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 things that only occur maybe for a few moments can impact that perception, obviously, of, of birth um, being traumatic. And then uh, another thing that I found was um, that uh, women found that, well, obviously no one wanted a healthier baby more than the mom. But once the baby, when she gave birth and the baby was fine, so the Apgars were eight and nine, you know, good Apgars. Um, the baby is not in any distress, doesn't need to be rushed off to the neonatal intensive care unit. That it was assessed by everyone's account, um, you know, even their loved ones that are there with them. They're, they're thrilled the, the labor and delivery was a success. Here is this healthy, wonderful, perfect baby. And no one then wanted to focus in on what the mother experienced to give birth to that baby. They felt like their experience was pushed in the background. And many times if they, you know, when they're home and they're just trying to struggle with their feelings, you know, people would say to them, um, you should be grateful. Your baby could have died. You know, what's what's wrong with you? Be happy. Um, and so those were some of the key elements that I found that could tip one woman into perceiving her birth as being traumatic and other mothers not. Mm. 
And th- those are really some powerful statements that you mm-hmm. have in that research. Is there a possibility? Do you have is the is the research available online that we can link through to it in the show notes if people want to go, you know, take a further look at it? Um, well, I think so. I I can you know give you the uh, um, the the reference for the for the study. It's a published article, and they may be able to to pull it up if they have access to libraries, university mm-hmm. libraries. They would pull that up really easily. But it's just my name and the name of the study is Birth Trauma in the Eye of the Beholder. Okay, and I will look for it to to see if we can link to it on the show notes for sure. Um, okay. Right now, we're going to take a quick break, but we break. But when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more of ways to help that woman be heard during the delivery itself. When these things are happening, like how can she find her voice, or is there a way for other people, support people around her, to help her? So we'll be right back, and and mm-hmm. you can think of that while <laughs> while we take a break. Did you know that even though most expectant moms plan to breastfeed, the majority aren't really adequately prepared to get off to a good start? That is why world-renowned breastfeeding experts Dr. Teresa Nesbitt and Nancy Moorbacher have created their fabulous quick start video that gives you everything you need to know to get started with natural breastfeeding. Best of all, it's free. How awesome is that? Through their quick start video, you'll learn a simple technique that prevents nipple pain. You'll also find about the simplest way to help a newborn latch, as well as the best way to produce enough milk for your baby. These things will set you well on your way to a blissful breastfeeding relationship. And did I mention that it's free? Go watch the quick start video to natural breastfeeding at naturalbreastfeeding.com. And we are back, and I'm speaking to Dr. Cheryl Tatano back. And so before we left, we were talking about really powerful comments from your research, from the people, the, the moms that participated in your research in terms of how deeply they felt, you know, how strongly they felt this birth to be traumatic. So is there a way to help moms that are, are experiencing a traumatic event to make sure they are heard? Well, um, there are things that certainly can try, uh, for example, well, mothers in the study, some, many times when the, the actual traumatic event was, was starting was when the mom was in transition. And obviously that's all, I mean, it's enough just to get through each of those um, contractions. And so really um, mothers talked about really at that point being, you know, helpless, to actually hear their have their voice heard because all they were trying to do was obviously get through each of the contractions um, with education with uh, in say prenatal classes I mean we don't want to scare mothers in their and their significant others but people who are going to be in the labor and delivery with them um, doulas are fabulous um, you know as other support persons when the mother can't find her own voice is at least is to be able to um, maybe say something to the baby's father or her doula just you know briefly that either she's afraid um, uh, something to do with her that her perception of the birth and then the other person could be the voice um, for for the mother 
maybe um, saying, you know, uh, probably a doula would make, would be better for this because fathers in my studies have said that they really felt helpless, like they knew that they weren't a, a medical professional, so that the medical professionals shouldn't should know best, and they really hesitated um, saying saying anything um, to them. But maybe even just saying, you know, could you um, explain a little bit more what's happening here? Um, for myself and my wife, because we're not in the medical or nursing um, profession, um, uh, to help them. You know, we women have their birth um, plans, and certainly uh, we we try and follow them. But but sometimes when there is an obstetric emergency, some of that does have to go by the way, wayside because the the um, uh, life of the mother and baby could be at risk. Um, yeah, and I think it's important to clarify the difference between an, an, an emergency, so an obstetric emergency, where things, if it's an obstetric emergency, in my experience, is that, you know, it is, it, it looks like an emergency, but the room fills with people and everybody's taking quick action and there's not more ex- much explaining to be done. Mm-hmm. But again, in my experience, that that event is extremely rare. What is mm-hmm. more often happens is you have a situation like you were saying before, a cascade of interventions where yeah. things start going by the wayside and more and more the, the mom starts feeling a little you know, more helpless or, or less mm-hmm. heard or more cornered or having mm-hmm. less options, right? And, and yeah, I want to really make sure that listeners hear this, that unless it's an emergency in birth, 99% of the time, there's plenty of time to, like like you were saying, Cheryl, to ask, can you tell us more? Can we still have questions? Can we have some time to think about it? Mm-hmm. And, and, and something as simple as switching, you know, shifting that perspective of bringing the power back to the decision power back to mom, even if it's, it's going to be the same outcome, even if it's she's going to agree on the same thing. But you know, bringing that dignity and that respect back to her where she can feel mm-hmm. what I've heard mom say is, is the difference of being something that she did as opposed to that, that and she chose as opposed to something being done to her. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there are certain things that have to be done to a mother and there's just no choice to it, but it's the how things are done you know, in a caring manner, is are they being communicated with the the mother and the uh, the the mother and the father? Are they being communicated with, telling them why it is necessary to do this? So the how actions are done is also important, um, especially when a woman doesn't. There isn't a choice that that she, this has to be done, but it's the way it's done. You know how it's done, how it's presented. That yeah. that could help. And, and it, the fathers, um, I've done some research, not as much with fathers during their significant others' um, traumatic birth. And you know, they one of the biggest things that came out is that they wanted to help, but but they felt powerless. They felt helpless. They didn't have an, the knowledge that the medical person has. And um, this one father. You know, said, said. I mean, it really is a powerful quote. He said, and I quote, um, I was, um, I'm on an island watching my wife drown, and I don't know how to swim, and I am drowning myself. And that's how he described being present during that 
traumatic labor and delivery. So they, fathers, significant others may want to help, but they're just as distressed as the mother in in labor. Mm. Yeah, yeah, because and and it's a very emotional situation for them, and that the, you know mm-hmm. the research does show the benefits of having that that objective third person like a doula being there mm-hmm. that is not necessarily so emotionally tied to both the mom and the baby. You know, it's not that, right. that you don't care for baby but or, or mom. Absolutely not. The, quite the contrary. But, you know, the, these aren't the loves of your life. Um, mm-hmm. That, that can where, be... Where, yeah, nursing can come in, too. Yes, absolutely. Nurse, primary nurse caring for that, for that mom who's with that mother, that couple, for hours, you know, and hours can be the advocate. Absolutely, of really caring for them, um, mm-hmm. and, and of of not just for medically caring for them, but also Correct. taking in. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that experience for the for that dad. Let's mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that flip side of that secondary traumatic stress for, you know, for other birth partners or significant others, family, even even care providers, doulas, nurses mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. in, in there attending the birth as well. Uh, yes. Well, um, I've only done research with, with fathers as like sig- significant others um, in labor and delivery, but I've done a few studies looking at the effect that traumatic childbirth can have on obstetrical care providers. Um, and mainly because I am a nurse and a nurse midwife, those who I've, uh, that's the, the groupings that I've chose to research first. Um, for example, I've, I've done a study with labor and delivery nurses, um, and how I got to to start to look at healthcare providers and the effect that caring for someone going through a traumatic birth could have on them is that um, I often speak at conferences and about traumatic childbirth, um, PTSD, um, and in the audience many times there's there are labor and delivery nurses, and usually in the question and answer period, um, nurses would say you should research us. We're as traumatized as the mothers that we're caring for. So um, because of their suggestions, I, I went to the literature and I started looking at this, and nothing had been done in the area of labor and delivery, but um, it's called secondary traumatic stress. And it's, sec- it's secondary traumatic stress, and what it is is in caregivers that they did not experience themselves the the traumatic birth but because they're repeatedly caring for mothers who are going through some type of a traumatic birth that that it's like post-traumatic stress but one step removed from the actual trauma they didn't experience it but they did sort of vicariously by witnessing caring for women and so there are uh questionnaires out there that look at the symptoms. The symptoms are the same as PTSD symptoms, but what they refer to is back to um, the result of caring for repeatedly for people who are traumatized. So the most research has been done in with um, therapists uh, who care for survivors of childhood sexual abuse. So every day, you know, they're hearing these um, horrific stories that their patients had to go through in order for the 
therapists to help them. Also, social workers who do a lot of work with childhood sexual abuse survivors. And so the secondary traumatic stress came out of, out of that arena. And so I looked at it in labor and delivery nurses and using these um, instruments, these questionnaires that look at the amount of these symptoms that the healthcare providers are experiencing. And what I found with my labor and delivery nurses is that um, um, 35% of them reported moderate to severe levels of secondary traumatic stress. Um, that they, they too are traumatized, but it's by witnessing. They, they're trying to care for moms um, and uh, when the moms are going through traumatic birth. So um, there is, I've done some writing on looking at birth trauma um, and its ever-widening ripple effect. And so the different ripples are who it's affecting, not only the mother, but mother-baby interaction, um, fathers, um, partners, significant um, others, um, um, health care providers. So all these ripples that this traumatic birth can have on different people. It's a very uh, important for us to try and prevent the traumatic birth in the first place. So important. So so incredibly important. And I'm glad that we're talking about it. And I'm glad that more research is being done. And I'm glad that moms are speaking out more. So that it seems, I don't know, maybe it's just my perception, but it seems that in the past few years, there's been a, a, a light big light shined shown i don't know what the passive shine is mm-hmm. <laughs> to, um, no, yeah i think you're right <laughs> shown on on this topic um and and only by having more awareness of its possibility and and can moms speak up because that takes me to my next question if a person is experiencing childbirth ptsd symptoms and is struggling to ask for help who can she contact? What are some of the ways she could approach a conversation that might seem, you know, quite difficult? Um, all right. Well, one, uh, women, women, then any postpartum mood or anxiety disorders, the, the, the person probably that they're going to be seeing mostly in that first year um, are, is not their OB providers, their nurse midwife or their um, obstetrician, but um, the pediatrician, pediatric nurse practitioner, so that um, we're talking about who can they open up up to. Um, people and uh, clinicians in the area of pediatrics, their patient should not just be that newborn infant that's coming in for its routine checkup, but the mother too. The mother-infant diet is very um, important. We need to educate um, our pediatric clinicians on the need to really um, ask women how are they doing because maybe the pediatrician if you it's easier if the clinician starts the conversation than if a mother has to get up enough courage to, to say something about her symptoms um, but just really um, how are you doing how are you feeling but not say it as they're writing down in the chart or leaving the room sit down give some nonverbals to the mother that you're really interested in how they are doing how are they coping with with um, the new baby with their with their feelings? And um, one of the those ripple effects of traumatic birth is um, for women is the anniversary every year of their traumatic birth. So 
they're bringing their babies in for a one-year checkup or two-year checkup, somebody in the area of pediatrics would say, well, now that it's, you know, one year um, since the birth of, of your baby, how are you doing? Because if someone's struggling with PTSD, no matter what the cause, it, it, it could be, say, a survivor of 9-11, the anniversary of that trauma is a difficult time for them every year because it brings up more of the, the um, intrusive thoughts. Um, and so, for example, say somebody survived 9-11. I bet you every September 11th, family or friends are either email or calling them to say, you know, I know this is a difficult day for you. I'm here for you, whatever you want. If you just want to have lunch together, you just want to talk. But what happens to moms is that the anniversary every year of their traumatic birth is the baby's birthday. It's a day of celebration. So, again, the mother's what she's feeling and struggling with is pushed into the background as everyone is celebrating the birth of the baby so that it's a, it's a, a mother's struggle every year with this, you know, if they are experiencing um, PTSD. And so um, clinicians who are seeing the women at those anniversary times, which are the pediatricians for the well baby checkups or the three-year-old checkup, should be asking mothers. Um, we need to um, educate their loved ones that this may be a difficult time for them. Sure, they want to prepare for the for and and have the best birthday party they can for their child, but know that moms need some attention too. Let them know, you know, I I know two years ago you were really struggling with this. How are you doing today? And give them some attention. That article I wrote, I called it the anniversary of birth trauma, failure to rescue, meaning we failed to rescue the moms again. We didn't rescue them during their traumatic birth, and every year at the anniversary we're not again, paying attention to them, giving them the support they need. We're all concentrating on the birthday party. And it is such a difficult situation because you have these both these events happening at the same time, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. struggling and the mourning of the birth, as well as the, you know, the celebration of your child. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. The mothers are, are torn. So there were a number of different ways that they would do it. Some would just um, it was easy enough that, say, if one year the anniversary, the birthday actually was on a Wednesday, they would just choose the weekend before or after and use the excuse to say, well, you know, people are working, it's easy, we'll just do it on the weekend. And then they could actually get through the day of the actual birth um, anniversary, uh, you know, on their own with not trying not to um, have to actually have the party too, because the moms want, they don't want to take anything away from their babies or their children. They want to, um, have a joyous day. Um, but some women who really struggled would, would, um, randomly choose a day out of the year to celebrate their child's birthday. Um, those are the moms really struggling, you know, with PTSD, but maybe one year it was in October. The next year they chose August. Um, one mother who struggled the most, her child was three, and um, she hadn't had a birthday party yet for him. And um, uh, so that there are some really chronic long-term problems if mothers are not getting the help that they that they need. Yeah, and 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 it's so hard. It is. It it. I hear you talk, and I. It, it is heartbreaking. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no two ways about it because right. this is and and the the power of of the title for that research of you know the anniversary of birth, birth trauma is failure to rescue. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. Again, that yes, it didn't happen that day, and then you're you're letting them down again, and and with, even without knowing that you're correct, right? Correct. They're not doing anything um, malicious on purpose that would just aren't aware of of what the mother is going through and many times the mother doesn't want to um bring it up mm. she needs um family members someone to bring it up for her and then give her permission to say oh you know i really want you know the baby to have the best first birthday ever but you're right i am struggling can i just talk about it for a for a little bit and even giving um, there... go ahead no no well, I was just going to continue on. You uh, talked about places for help, and there are some um, websites and um, that yeah. are that are great. I do um, a lot with uh, trauma and birth stress, and it, it's um, the website is www.tab. So that's short for trauma and birth stress. So t a b s dot org o r g dot n z n z. It comes out of New Zealand. A lot of information on on their website about traumatic childbirth and PTSD, and then um, here um, in the U.S. is Postpartum Support International (PSI), which is a fabulous organization uh, to support um, women with all types of postpartum mood and anxiety disorders. And so, um, support groups are a great help for moms. And so, but many times they won't know, is there a support group in my local area? And so Postpartum Support International, that's, um, website is www.postpartum.net. You can go on that website and for every state in the U.S., they have a state coordinator. And those are moms, moms who have, um, you know, beaten some type of, say, postpartum depression or PTSD, and they're volunteering in their state. They're the coordinator for Postpartum Support International, and there's phone numbers for them or emails, and you could maybe sometimes a mother may um, want to um, maybe choose a different healthcare provider who really knows about postpartum or perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, you could ask the state coordinator, you know, in, in your state or in your local area, um, are there providers that moms really, you know, had positive experiences with? Um, are there support groups in my area? In, and so that's another great uh, uh, support for for women. Mm, and I'm so glad you brought that up because the point of all this is that for moms to know that there is support out there, they, they can get help, that, you know, health systems need to improve still, but they are working on it. And to, yeah. you know, to really, if, if, if they are being dismissed or if somebody's saying, mm-hmm. oh, well, move on, or, you know, you have, mm-hmm. a, be grateful you had a baby, a healthy baby, that that's not the answer, that they can, they can, you know, ask for a second opinion and go somewhere else. But Mm -hmm. just in closing, you had another very powerful um, research that you did on post-traumatic growth. So, yeah, let's end on that happy note. (laughs) Yes, uh, that I would like. And I want to make sure that everyone listening, you know, remembers that really it's just a small percentage of women with, you know, who actually develop PTSD. Um, But um, 
yes, I've, I've done research. There is now coming out in the field of psychology. It's called post-traumatic growth. And what it is um, is that um, persons who go through some type of um, uh, challenging event, that there is, for some, not everyone, but there's a positive psychological change in their life, their beliefs or their um, um, about life or, or some aspect of their life that um, is a positive change as a result of their struggle, so for these mothers, with um, birth trauma. So, uh, again, a lot of it has been done with um, psychologists, like, uh, therapists, um, with childhood sexual abuse survivors, but I wanted to know if mothers experience post-traumatic growth um, because actual, say, patients themselves, much of the research on post-traumatic growth has been done with cancer survivors. And many times they'll say, you know, that cancer was a blessing, that it has changed their focus in life, what is important in life, and they wouldn't have given that up um, at all. Um, but not everyone does experience post-traumatic growth, but I did find um, that mothers um, are experiencing it. Um, uh, one mother uh, gave um, a really powerful quote when she tried to explain to me about these positive changes in her life due to experiencing traumatic birth. And so the women in this study did not need to be diagnosed with PTSD, but just viewed their birth as traumatic. And this mom said, I quote, I was broken, now I am unbreakable. And so what the mother, some of the positive aspects, um, the mothers um, um, realize that the strength that they really have in the overcoming the traumatic birth and going through it, um, that they realize that really they can take on a lot more than they thought. They also talked about post-traumatic growth is, is a process, and they talked about opening themselves up to a new to a new to a new you. Um, this mom said in the quote, she said, "At first, the very fabric of your being is shattered and destroyed. Nothing makes sense. The pieces do not go back together again. Rather, it's a gradual, new, very different kind of becoming." And she says, almost like um, a butterfly coming out of the chrysalis. So that positive um, changes in their life. They talk about having more empathy for people. Um, another, they talk about their improved relationship with their significant others. And one mother uh, talked about it as um, reaching a new level of relationship nakedness. And she used that term. She said at first she would try and hide things, uh, what she was feeling from her husband. But then um, she opened up and just talked about how she felt about that traumatic birth, all of those emotions and what she's experienced afterward. And she talked about, I was naked, meaning communication-wise, in front of my significant other and how relationships deepened, deepened with um, um, other mothers going through um, similar births. Um, they they're, uh, deepened their uh, aspects of spirituality in their life. And then the last area they talked about was that really uh, through their struggles with traumatic birth, they really um, forged some new paths in their life that they don't think they would have ever done if they hadn't had the traumatic birth. For example, um, women talked about they never volunteered in organizations, but some now are volunteering in different organizations for mothers 
to um, try and promote promote um, better care for new mothers. Um, others went back for um, a, a different degree in college, and it's interesting. Um, the ones who did chose nursing, that they wanted to be armed with the knowledge and the skills to be able to be a nurse in labor and delivery and to provide that care, that caring, the dignity that um, they didn't have. So they said they would never have dreamt of doing that if it weren't for um, the traumatic birth they had. So it's nice to to end on on a positive note for this hour, um, that there are some positive consequences that can come out of it. Mm, absolutely. And I know of many doulas who ended up doing that because of their birth experiences. Mm. Yeah, that had that growth for sure. Um, Cheryl, thank you so, so much for sharing all your knowledge with this with us. And I will certainly we'll get all all those links from you as possible to add uh, on the show notes and definitely link to tabs and to PSI um, so that moms know that there's help out there for them. And yes. There's one other one. Can I give you? Yeah, please. It's, uh, it's called, it's out of, um, I think it's on the West Coast. It's called Solace for Mothers Healing After Traumatic Childbirth. And it's www. And all one word, Solace for Mothers. Org. Yep, so I there love is help out there. There is help out there. Thank you so so much. If listeners want to follow what you're doing, is there a way they can they they can do that? Um. Uh, well, certainly my my email address here at University of Connecticut is just Cheryl C H E R Y L dot Beck B E C K at U C O N N dot E D U. Beautiful. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Mighty mamas and mighty dads, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Go to birthful.com where you can learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages and more. I'm also on Facebook or Twitter as at birthful. So come say hi. And if you're pregnant, don't forget to grab my birth partner's ultimate labor support toolkit at birthful.com slash toolkit. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you, the Birthful Patreon supporters, and by the wonderful people at naturalbreastfeeding.com. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous birthful library. Happy listening.